Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. Good morning and welcome. We have a treat for you today. Instead of our normal interviews type of talk or discussion, we're going to be having a roundtable today about issues our transitioning student veterans. I think there are a lot of terms thrown around. I think there are a lot of questions about the new Forever GI Bill. And we're going to be talking today with three guests, and I will let Les Davis introduce them. Les, welcome this morning. Hey, thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. Love this new format. Yeah, I think it's a fun format, and it really allows us to get a nice broad overview and perspective from people who are very close to these issues. And it is a very important thing. Education is a very big transition issue for many people. I know there's discussion about extending this to trade schools as well as to universities and colleges. And there are a lot of changes in place. So we're going to be talking today about issues facing transitioning student veterans. And Les, why don't you introduce our guests and then we will go round the table just as if this were a panel discussion and get people's views on the questions posed. Oh, absolutely. Not only are they close to it, but they're very passionate about it. Right. Absolutely. So I'd like to uh, introduce uh, Dr. Karina Money of The Right Path. She's also the Managing Director of Veteran Education Program Development and the author of The Transitioning Student Veteran in Higher Education. Um, our next panelist is Tom Stein, retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel, President of Greyhawk Enterprises and the Target Assisting Professor or hiring target, and assistant professor of aerospace at Embry-Riddle and author of Fire Your Resume. And Caitlin Gray, assistant director of veteran employment and education uh, for the American Legion. Welcome all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And <laughs> you guys sound like you're facing a firing squad. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly did. Thank you all for uh, taking time to be with us this morning. Um, very, the very first question, since it's been recently in the news, I'd like to talk about the new GI Bill and get your opinion on it. You know, okay. there's been some great changes to it and an opinion. I would like to get uh, just each one of you to discuss it, whichever point you want to make. Um, first of all, I, I, you know, just to get where I stand with it, I love the fact that they removed the 15-year use-it-or-lose-it provision. I love the fact that they expanded it to the, the Purple Heart recipients. Um, I couldn't. I really can't believe the original Javiel missed out on that. And then they expanded the, the yellow ribbon program to spouses and children's tuition reimbursement for the schools that uh, that closed, and they fixed the garden reserve eligibility. Um, I'd like to toss this out to Caitlin, being the, you uh, you're with the American Legion, and they partnered with uh, Student Veterans of America and other VSOs. What do you think of this um, this new change, Caitlin? Um, honestly, it is, it's great. It is perfect. It came at the perfect time. I mean, it could have came a little sooner, but for instance, removing the 15-year delimiting date from um, using someone's GI Bill, say um, say a master sergeant in the Air Force gets out after 20 years and, you know, he has a family to take care of, he or she, and he, he or she cannot go to school right after they get out. They have to look for a job, find a, um, some other way of, of um, establishing income. I 
I don't think they have, they should have to wait 15 or, you know, get their education within 15 years. So now um, this new provision to the GI Bill, it limits the current 15 year time limitation for the GI Bill and it takes effect immediately and applies to service members and dependents discharged um, after January of 2013. So um, honestly, that's probably one of the biggest things in my opinion, um, as far as, uh, one of the, the greatest things that it, it does for, for veterans. Um, something else that I think is really important, like you said, expanding um, to Purple Heart recipients. I don't know why that wasn't something that they had considered when they first introduced the GI Bill, um, but it now extends to full eligibility for post 9-11 GI Bill to any Purple Heart recipients mm -hmm. since September 11, 2001. Um, Many reservists who were injured while activated didn't meet the active duty time requirements, and therefore they weren't entitled to the full GI Bill until now. And it takes effect um, next August 2018 for, for Purple Heart recipients um, awarded after September 11, 2001. Tom? Yeah. Yes, I thought uh, what I read that Les had explained what was going on, it is, it is outstanding that they do it. And I still um, caution a lot of the students going in, be really smart how you use this money. It's not that it's free. You've earned it. You need to get that education. I think to be successful in life, I'm in corporate America right now, you need pretty much three things. You need a degree, a trade, and certification. So even though degrees are extremely important, um, you know, Les and I had chatted about this earlier. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think I would have gone into uh, air conditioning, heating, and ventilation sometimes mm -hmm. because of the trades. There's going to be a huge glut and demand for trades. So if you have a degree, that's awesome. And then if you get that trade certification, uh, it's going to be awesome because you're going to live till you're 90 years old nowadays. So you need something to to uh, carry you through those years so you're, you never have to worry about uh, taking care of yourself or your family. So I think that the bill is great. I, I th Hopefully it'll stick around for a long time, even with the, the new folks signing up. And that just be extremely wise on, on what you do. When I coach a lot of college students, when I ask them why they're t getting a degree in this, some of them just looked at me because, well, I just want the money. <laughs> or I just need that degree, and they, they really don't have a clue of what they want to do. So don't go into it blind. It's a phenomenal benefit, and just be smart about it. Boy, Karina, he just gave you a segue. He did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree with what both of you have said, and really, for me, I think one of the best, the two best things are the Purple Heart recipients, but also that getting rid of that 15-year cap and you know tom like what you just said i've often come across um student veterans who go into school and and they have no idea what they should be majoring in or, or why they're really there other than i have these benefits i have to use them and now is the time without this cap there's so much opportunity i mean people come back in different stages of life so often people come back and have to support young families and work to you know, put food on the table and don't have the opportunity to use this bill to get their education or training. And now without having that cap, I think people can 
eventually go and get their degree or get their training and kind of transition into their civilian career and do it with a lot more time and thought behind what it is they're doing. And I think that's so important to not have that for them, to be able to kind of just, you know, really think about what they want to do. And it also gives them the time to, and I, I firmly believe in when people work certain jobs, a lot of times what you find out is it's a lesson in what you don't want to be doing. So get, without this rush to get this done, you know, it gives them a better perspective on exactly what it is they should be um, getting a degree in to further their career. Oh, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, earlier about your when, it, when our, we get out, I think Caitlin mentioned that about the 15 year or back in Montgomery GI Bill, back in my day, we had 10 years. Um, I personally, I remember waiting. I had to wait. Like you know, you have to secure a job. You got to secure a house. You got to you know be in your job for so long before you really um, can manage your time to go back to school. And online education has really helped a lot of our service members go back to school so they can really climb the corporate ladder. Um, me personally, I don't. I would never have went back to school if it wasn't for online education. And and Tom, you had mentioned that you got to be smart with your money and smart with your GI Bill. Because there are schools out there that they're, you know, I don't want to say they're hawks or, you know, predator schools, but there are some schools that the students should really take care of. So they really need to investigate and look at all schools before they go back. Um, and I think we've seen that over the past years. Yeah, um, I agree. Absolutely. And, um, and that just takes me to my, my next question. You know, it seems that schools who are deemed veteran friendly are rarely veteran ready, right? So how does how does how do we make sure that these the student veteran picks the right school? And, and Tom, I'd like to start off with you on that. Okay, so um, you know whether you're for profit or nonprofit, and, it, and we know the for profit really have gotten hammered, and that the the uh, the nonprofits are fine, but when I look at a, a school, I'm here in Southern California, and one of my favorite schools is Cal State Fullerton. It's got about 600 veterans who actually raise their hand and say they're veterans. There's about another 600 uh, veteran, uh, children of veterans using uh, the, the GI Bill or other benefits, uh, the fee waiver. So when a vet's going to go into school, first of all, you know, I really, really like the junior college program where you can slowly start, take classes as you need it, very inexpensive, uh, even though the money's not necessarily coming out of your pocket. But I would look at a that has a well-developed veteran program. It just doesn't say it because I, I don't care if it's for-profit or non-profit. I see a lot of colleges with their hands out, and they want that money because it's just huge. And then what kind of career services? Do they just give them the, the diploma and say thank you very much and show them the door? Or do they actually mentor them uh, and coach them while they're there? Um, there is some great schools here in Southern California that take the veteran population very, very serious, uh, both the junior college programs here in Southern California, as well as some of the big UCs and states. And some of the private uh, schools have really stepped up. They brought in some professionals that really helped that know guys like you, Les, and, and, the, and the rest of the folks on the call that 
bring in and understand uh, the challenges that maybe a college centric individual is, is not, you know, need some coaching. That's how I pick them. That's wonderful. Unfortunately, we're coming up on a break, so we will be taking just a very short break. You don't want to miss the rest of this discussion. When we come back, I'd like to insert uh, a definitional uh, point for you all. What friendly really mean? It's an overused term, and we'll be back right after these messages. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving, EFMP, or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. Tom was mentioning some very valid points about veteran-friendly schools, how to make good choices. And I would like to take one step back because I think the term veteran-friendly is overused. People stamp it as a, a voice of approval, but it rarely means anything. And I think what Les said earlier about deemed veteran-friendly and rarely veteran-ready, those are two very different things. And Karina, um, We'll come to you. I know Les had an opinion on this as well. Believe it or not, we talk constantly on the breaks. So Les, go ahead. Yeah. So we, as we look at the term, where did it come from? And you know, we all know the magazines that give that give these stamps. You know, veteran friendly, and and you can and you can take these surveys, right? Well, I was I was filling out those surveys that somebody used to work at the school, and these are these these aren't audited. You know, so whatever the school says, and they send it, then you get ranked. So there's there's where is it honest? So at the school, we have to depend on the school to be honest. Well, you, you, so that's where that's where my concern comes in. You know, I've seen one school one year went from the top 15%, the next year they're at top 3%, but they never made any changes to what they do. So my concern is as the veterans are looking at these magazines, they've got to be cautious because they're not, these. some of these schools aren't, you know, I'm not going to say they lie, but maybe they're just not so honest and they just want that higher grade. And so Karina. Standardization, is that what you're asking about? Uh, yeah, and well, yeah, I'm asking for standardization, but I'm also I'm also saying who's checking on it. I'm asking that question: is who audits these schools? Is there anybody that that says wants to make sure that that it's a, these are very honest people doing these? Because I, I just don't see that that is the case in time. They're they're expecting the schools to be honest, 
And, you know, what we've seen in the past, some of the schools are no longer around. So we know there's some kind, there may be some, um, some issues about integrity. So I just want to make sure when they, when they apply for these and they get that label, that there's some kind of an auditing process that, so the veteran knows what's on paper is exactly right. And so, um, Karina, if you have anything to add to that, or if you, if you want to follow on with something else, please. I do. So um, the veteran friendly label that colleges have on their website actually doesn't mean anything. Um, I, in my research, I have found that talking to over 100 schools, that there's no criteria and there's not there's no governing body that checks to make sure there, there's no actual standards in place to keep a school accountable. So a lot of times when I would talk to a school that claims to be veteran friendly and saying, what do you do for veterans helping them transition into higher ed? Do you have a course, a program? And the answer is, well, we're nice to them when they get to campus. Well, that's great, but what do you do? And oh well, what do you mean? We send our people out for maybe a weekend you know, training course. And that, that's actually not enough. And the problem is, is that as student veterans are choosing schools, you know, they're relying on these lists that are out there to, to choose their school, and then they get to the campus and realize there isn't anything for them. The other thing I'm seeing is that a lot of private colleges and universities will put up a shiny brand new veterans lounge, mm -hmm. which is really pretty with really nice furniture. And they have, you know, a coffee hour and they do retreats and things like that, which is all great. But what are you doing? What else are you doing to help make that transition into higher ed and into their civilian career? And so often that it's not reinventing the wheel. A lot of times it's just taking what the resources existing at the college and university and utilizing them for the student veteran population. For example, I firmly believe that every career services center for a school that claims to be veteran friendly should have a person working there who actually specializes in working with veterans, meaning someone who's knowledgeable about how to take your military experience and translate that into civilian work experience. Somebody who's familiar with veteran issues that can help them to make that transition successful. And there's no set definition about what that actually means on a campus. And, you know, for me, a campus that is veteran friendly is an institutional culture within the entire institutional community, which is inclusive and supportive and respectful and engaging to veterans. And that includes everybody from the financial aid person to the faculty members to the, to the student affairs people. And it's a, if a school truly is veteran friendly and you go there for a campus visit, it's something that you feel. You just know it's there. Um, and I have a colleague who research, has been researching this area for a very long time. Um, his name is David Bakke, and he came up with a definition, and it's not implemented, but what he feels the definition is, is that a veteran-friendly campus identifies and removes barriers to the educational goal of veterans, creates a smooth transition to, from the military to college life, and provides information for veterans about available benefits and services and creates campus awareness of the student veteran population. And I think that that definition really encompasses what it means to be veteran friendly. And the unfortunate thing about this is, again, like we started saying in the beginning, it, there's no accountability standard. So there's no way to know 
if that school truly stands behind that veteran friendly label. And the only way to know is for the student veteran to actually talk to the director of veterans affairs, go visit the campus and kind of see what it's all about, get a feel for what's really there. Caitlin, I've got a question for you on what Karina just said. Sure. If, if we can't count on the schools to have a standardization and uh, they say this big definition, but I think many of them don't know how to implement it, how important is it for vets to talk to other vets at the schools to get their take on what is the comfort level of being a veteran in this space? Oh, it's vital. It is it is definitely one of the most important decisions you can make when it comes to finding a school. Um, and honestly, that, that was my entire answer is, yes, it's important for there to be some type of standards when deciding what's veteran friendly, what's not. But at the end of the day, it's a veteran's job to do their research and figure it out for themselves. Um, I think all us veterans are more than capable of, of doing research, of finding out which schools um, are you know, quote unquote, veteran friendly. Um, a few different questions veterans could ask themselves when researching schools, is there a vet center or a club on campus? How many other veterans attend the school? And is there, you know, priority scheduling for veterans when they're attending classes? Um, another question would be, will it accept all of your military education credits from your joint services transcript? And of course, does the school support veteran scholarship programs um, such as the Yellow Ribbon Program? I think these are all questions that veterans need to really consider when they're when they're searching for schools online. And no matter if there is a big shiny stamp on, you know, um, on the school's webpage saying, yeah, we're veteran friendly, maybe they are, but it's really up to the veteran to find that out. And like you said, it, it either it takes, you know, doing their own research or talking to other veterans who are going to that school to figure out if it's gonna be a good fit for them. Absolutely, and, and, and Tom, did you have a, uh, did you wanna to add to that? Absolutely. I think uh, when it comes to this area, I think, and I'm a Marine, so I believe speaking softly and carrying a big stick. I think this is where the SVA, this is where I think the SVA, uh, I don't think they understand how powerful they are. And if they start putting demands and say, what are your career resources? How many vets do you place in an internship program? How many vets do you place into the uh, workforce? How many veteran children, uh, I mean, uh, children of veterans, how many do you place? So I would, you know, the SVA should, since that's a, you know, there's, there's no real control on the SVA. They can go out and do whatever they want, just like the American Legion. They can really, really push for that and say, hey, if you want a top rating, I want to know what is your percentage of career placement? And it does. It could be in the trades, it could be in certifications, or it could be from degree programs. So I think uh, that's the next hurdle that they need to do. And I think the SVA and American Legion uh, have huge uh, outreach within the Congress. And if you start, you know, uh, kind of shaking that tree, I think that'll be something because people are going to say, well, if you don't have a placement service uh, like they do in some colleges you're not going to get very well ranked and you see, see how quick that turns around. That's you my know, two cents on that. And Tom, you, you know, and, and just so, you know, let the audience know, Tom and I used to work together at a, at a previous school and some of the things that we used to do to make sure that we stayed veteran friendly, I would say the, you know, what we did, we did a welcome dinner 
you know, and, and it was, that welcome dinner was pretty incredible because we all the vets and families got together at the end of it. We seen spouses uh, and, and people uh, exchanging phone numbers. Some of them even served together. And that was the first time they've seen each other since. And so it, they were almost self-supporting at that point, just like we do on military bases. Uh, another thing was we brought in VA counselors for the, some of the guys just needed a little bit of assistance as they were going through school and how to function in civilian life again. And then I always thought it kind of helped when we had uh, veterans who were instructors on staff. I think they related a little bit better to the uh, to the students, and it helped. I know Tom, when out of the school, you you were huge, you know, in that as, as the veterans have an issue, they could just pop in your office and, and tell you that. Oh so, yeah, it it did help. But um, I really think the next thing is is to really push and say. You know, how many have you really placed? Because there's some fabulous schools out here and um, they just don't, you know, they, they give them their diploma or their certificate and they're on their way. And it's almost like something like an ROTC program, which is a totally venue, but they bring them in. They make them get together every so often. They make them take core classes together. And it's almost that freshman when they come in, they're not into the sorority or the fraternities thing. They're in there to get an education. They may have families. And if they can, I always like saying that you get all of them, you, you put them in English 101 or history 101, and they all have to be together. So there's... It, it just it doesn't uh, it really reduces that fear and it re helps reduce, in my opinion, the dropout rate. Oh, I, I agree with that 100 percent. And that's a That's a big question, you know, about why isn't the SV, the SVA the accounting body on this? Well, that let's would... come back after the break and talk about it. Unfortunately, we do have a quick break coming up. You are listening to Military Network Radio, and we have a roundtable going today about issues facing our transitioning student veterans. We're talking with Dr. Karina Money, Tom Stein, and Caitlin Gray, all authorities on the new GI Bill, the Forever GI Bill. And we are going to be continuing our discussion after the break because there are many questions um, that are not answered by the new bill's facets, and we'll take a look at those and what else can be done to help make the transitioning student veterans feel more comfortable on campus and in the new phase of their lives. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive.
Welcome back. Let's talk a little bit about what we meant right before the break, which is the importance of the work uh, Student Veterans of America SVA is doing. And why aren't they the accountability body? It, it seems a curious oversight, or maybe it's something they're planning for the future. I think Caitlin is next. Okay. Um, I think the SBA, Student Veterans of America, do a lot of great things for veterans. Um, it may be something that is in the works for them already, honestly. Um, I, I know they're trying to get into every facet of a veteran's life to help them, whether it be through um, legislation or, you know, campus experience. So that'd be something that um, the SBA would have to answer you know, eventually, whether they're doing something in that realm or not. Yeah, I, I, you know, my opinion on that is I just, I, I don't think they want to get that far in the weeds. Uh, in my opinion, you know, I've, mm. I've dealt and talked to these guys a lot over the years. And uh, I know they've, they've recent reshaped or the last few years, they've actually uh, reshaped the organization uh, compared to where it was in, say, 2010 to 2012 or so. But and, and that, that was a good thing. But I don't know if they're willing to get that far in the weight. I think they're more looking at uh, more corporate, um, bringing in more corporate uh, supporters and then also being a lobbyist. So uh, they probably don't want to get out into uh, managing that. That's my opinion. So who would you suggest or, or is there a way to even put in an accountability body? Well, I think if I think the magazines, if they're going to if they're going to be so bold, you know, say if uh, the GI Jobs magazine, if they're going to be so bold and saying this is the list, then they've got to be accountable to what they put out. So if it if, if they if the school, they got to somehow go back and audit those schools. You know, so you're and, saying and it's on the backs of the magazines. I, I do. I don't want I don't I don't think it should be anybody, you know, to police that they should police themselves. You know, in my opinion, I think that if they're going to if they're going to say um, X school is number one and X school is clearly number 100, then they are, they should be held accountable for the, what they print. I just don't. Uh, I just, you know, I, that's, that's my, how I, I view it. Well, as you view uh, that, though, Les, I'm, I'm just curious because mm -hmm. the criteria have to be producing the ranking, correct? Because when yeah. you look at civilian colleges ranking, it's done on specific uh, aspects. Uh, Karina, do you know what aspects they are checking to make these determinations? I for veterans? for the ranking of veteran-friendly schools and the success of these schools, etc. At integrating, I in think the veterans. main thing they look at is the retention rate of the schools um, for for the magazine rankings. But back to you know the accountability factor. I've always thought that national organizations, for example, like NASPA should come out with some kind of veteran friendliness checklist. And while I don't think they can truly hold them accountable like an accreditation body would, I think that if the information is out there for the schools, meaning that, you know, based on scholarly research and experts in this area, this is what we feel the best practice standard is for veteran friendliness. And if you want to be part of our list, or supported by us as a national organization. These are the things you have to do and kind of have the colleges either participate in that or not. I think that would hold some weight so that, you know, th there's no actual criteria right now. So there's no nationally recognized standard for veteran friendliness. 
Well, wouldn't that be interesting if the accreditation bodies got involved in this? That that would sure get the school's attention. Uh, that, Tom, that would make them actually do do the things that they need to be doing as far as the criteria. Yeah, Tom, did you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, uh, it's just that it would be an awesome thing because I I've been teaching what I call teaching adults, uh, and ninety percent of them are military vets, and it's I'm not plugging, but it's Embry Riddle, but most of those folks coming to school already have a job. So schools that are doing the night education, they would love that because they can say, well, we place 90% of our students, uh, you know, out here in the West Coast, up at the Long Beach campus, about 50% of the students are working SpaceX. Uh, okay. You know, they're technical experts. So I think a lot of the schools would love that category. It goes, you know, percentage of, of, of uh, you know, people who get jobs after their degree, I think it'd be good, but it would be just said, Hey, we want this criteria added to the best schools period. And just, I, you know, mm -hmm. what is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Caitlin, have you, you had, you want to round this out as we finish off this, uh, this topic? Sure. So I was actually, I was curious about what type of methodology a specific magazine used when, um, when trying to figure out which, organizations and which institutions would qualify as, as veteran friendly. And um, according to, to the website of one of these magazines, um, it's basically dependent on the institutions that choose to participate in the process of getting that military friendly designation. Um, the, this, um, this magazine evaluates public data from VA, DOL, DOE, and DOD along with some of the data they collect themselves through surveys to um, periodically, and, and I don't really know how often periodically is for them, to um, review <laughs> key data yeah. points. And um, at times, I think they reevaluate um, an institution's designation for military-friendly based on reported data. But still, that goes back to what are the standards, what, which information are they getting to, to conclude vet-friendly? Certainly. And I wonder if how much money they spend on advertising in those magazines <laughs> played a part. Right. Um, yeah. And so you sound that, a little cynical, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I know. After we did our survey, uh, they were just beating us up about you know spending sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars for you know for uh, for advertising. So I, I don't know if that's uh, part of it as well. Um, anyway, I'd like to move on, and, and I'd like to toss this next question uh, to Karina. Um, there are uh, many reports and articles always written. Uh, about student veterans' gra uh, graduation rates and, and, and then attrition. So the question I have then is, is are the student veterans' graduation rate equal uh, to their civilian peers? Absolutely. And I think that the articles out there, there's a big misconception in the statistics that are presented. And time and time again, you hear that veterans are not as successful as their non-veteran counterparts. Veterans have a lower graduation rate. Uh, veterans are not doing as well in their coursework. And, and frankly, it's absolutely not true and misrepresented. The reason for that is, again, there's not a tracking mechanism um, that's working well for veterans. And what happens is if a veteran starts at college A and they take a couple of classes, and then they either get, you know, they move and then they leave that first school and continue and finish their degree at another school. That first school records them as withdrawn. 
And but the reality is they've actually finished their degree somewhere else. So is that success? Well, to me, yes, they got their degree. That is successful. But they're not following them throughout their academic career. So there's they don't know that they finished somewhere else. And that's why some of these statistics are you know, reported the way they are. And also it, it, it comes down to the definition, well, what is success? You know, is the student veteran who started school and decided to take, you know, I don't know, a biopharmaceutical class because they were interested in it and they took a class and while they were working, they have a job offer at a pharmaceutical company doing whatever and they're making decent money to support their family and they're happy at their job and realize that they don't need to finish that degree to continue on the track that they're on is that person successful even though they have the job that they want but didn't finish their degree i think they are success is you know it's a personal thing but as far as the retention rates and those numbers this is a population of students that moves around a lot and it's not is not necessarily going to finish their degree where they start so because of the current reporting mechanisms in place you know they're erroneously reported as dropped out, as withdrawn, which then turns into these articles that we see out there that they're not as successful as their non-veteran peers. From my experience as a faculty member teaching, you know, I, I teach courses where there's just veterans on bases in the Boston area, but also just having student veterans in my regular classes. For me, as a faculty member, they are actually more organized, more motivated, and a pleasure to have in the classroom. And I would say, equally as successful or sometimes more successful than their non-veteran peers. Oh, absolutely. And, and Caitlin, did uh, you, you had something to add to this? I agree. Um, honestly, I've looked at the data for, um, I think the SBA, they published a report um, documenting the, the student veterans who, um, who graduated compared to not. And I think the success rate was around um, 72%. Um, that's 54% completed and 18% persisting, meaning they're still continuing their education. Um, and honestly, 72% sounds pretty good to me. I, I don't know, um, honestly, on the opposite end of that, whoever's saying that we're not doing too good and graduating, I would just say that they're probably doing sloppy reporting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every every veteran I've ever met either has their degree or is working towards, I've never, I don't usually meet veterans who just drop out and don't continue, so. Uh, absolutely, and and, I, and Tom, I, I know you probably have your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, if I could tell any vet, it would be you know get to the the JC because that's sometimes a comfortable thing instead of jumping into a full blown university uh, because that can be just kind of daunting for uh, especially with uh, some of them who are maybe still very young. Uh, on the educational side, so uh, and and then look into uh, the coaching. I mean, that's I think that's the biggest thing. If you want to uh, hit attrition uh, statistics, you want to drive them low. It you got to have a lot of touches. And I think there's like I said, I've been I'm spoiled out here uh, where we have a lot because we have some huge military bases out here that the schools understand the value these veterans bring. Uh, and some even active duty uh, people who are who are attending classes, the value they bring, the value they they uh, reputation they bring, and how the instructors like them. So it is. I think it's a lot of his coaching. You know, 
I always tell her, I go, why are you getting a degree in X, Y, Z? And most of them go, well, you know, that's, that's what, uh, you know, my friend's doing. So I'm going to do that too. So I think the coaching part is absolutely vital, uh, for the new incoming students. Thank you, Tom. We've got to go on another break. And we are talking with Dr. Karina Money, Tom Stein, and Caitlin Gray about student issues. We'll be right back after these short messages. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. dynamic woman? Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful, with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly, with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of Dynamic Women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion. Les, your next question is? Yeah, so, you know, I've been... Boy, working with student veterans and student and, and veterans transitioning now for, well, for about just a little over 10 years. And it is a, it is a very hard transition, uh, Linda. It is probably the mm-hmm. hardest transition we, we do in our life is transitioning back to civilian life. And so what I want to ask the panel is, is, do the student veterans have a hard time adjusting to the non-structure college environment when they go from active duty into the college environment? And Caitlin, I, that's questions directed to you right off the bat. Perfect. So I, um, I was an Air Force um, member for about four years. I got out and my transition, it really wasn't, it wasn't that hard. Um, I, I adjusted pretty well to the non-structure of college compared to the military, of course. And I think it's because I did a, a one enlistment. I, don't, I think people who do 20 years and retire may have a more difficult time adjusting to the non-structure of college courses than, than people who do one enlistment or, or, you know, two enlistments. Now, you know, that, that adds to something because I've been working, I work with all branches. And so here, let me just uh, do a follow-on question with you. Do you think then that a, in, in the, like a, a service members who would serve in the Marine Corps or Army or even Navy when they're on in, in, a, in a forward area, instead of back at a, maybe an airfield, do you think they would have a harder time in a college environment? Because it's very structured in the infantry units or more of a combat rule type situation than a college campus. So do you think there'd be a difference between somebody who would serve in the Air Force compared to somebody who would serve in a frontline unit? Personally, I think so. Um, I've heard other veterans you know, say the same thing, basically, that 
um, oh, the Air Force prepares you better for for transitioning out of the military than, than other branches. And, and maybe that that may be true. I wouldn't know because I've only transitioned out of the Air Force. But I think, you know, I transition well and I any Air Force member I've met has transitioned well. So maybe it would be up to the branches to kind of get together and talk about best practices when they're helping veterans transition out of the military and into um, a school or into employment. Well, that's a whole new topic, the transition. <laughs> it is. Um, and, and I wish we had time to talk about that because I get, you know, there's a ton we can talk about with the transition centers on the bases. And, and Tom, what do you think about that? Is it, you know, with the with the transitioning into the from high from the you know active duty into the school and then what do you think about the you know the different services and where they served and the, their yeah. adjustment it, it seems um uh well you know i've been doing the adult education for almost 20 years at night school and it comes down to two populations uh it's the young and restless and the other one is the grumpy old men so, and that's what it comes down to, because you have these young people coming out after four years, they're going to night school because they're, they have a focus, they have a goal. Then there's the other, like I call the grumpy old men who master techs, master gunnies and that, who, who went 20, 20 plus years in the military. And now they're getting offered very low salaries because they don't have a degree. So the transition, uh, you know, the longer you stay within a culture, the more you be, you become that culture, right? Yeah. So it all depends, and it's attitude. So uh, they all bring huge value to the classroom. And like I said, the young and the restless, they want to get in it. They don't understand why it's going to take me maybe over two years to get a degree. And then uh, the grumpy old men saying, well, I got to do this because it's my family. I got kids going into college. I, you know, I got to uh, get a degree to just almost double the salaries because the civilian market knows what's going on and, and the vets have to understand, especially the senior ones, that, you know, when you're on active duty, you're the 1%. When you get out, you're the 7%, which means you're competing basically against 93% of the other people. So you have to understand the value you bring to the market and how you differentiate. And it's a huge challenge for both populations, young or senior. Uh, you know, I see it all the time. And that's where the coaching really comes in. Uh, and that's where the universities can, because word gets around. Uh, veterans are very prejudiced. If, if, you, if they like a situation, they like an institute, institution, they talk about it. And you know, as well as I last, where we, when we were at the school, it was word of mouth. Well, you know, why did you come here? Well, my buddy came here and he really liked it. And now, now I'm get now I have a job. So, you know, I think that's uh, huge. Hopefully, I, I didn't talk too much on that. No, that's excellent, and I agree with you about word of mouth too. So, uh, Karina, did you did you see the same thing with the young, and the restless, and the grumpy old men? I mean, what, what, what there do you are think? there are definitely um, some grumpy old men and some young and restless for sure. Um, what I have seen is the two main things that, um, you know, part of the transition experience is the, the lack of structure in college. So going from, um, you know, the military where every hour of every day is planned out, you know exactly what you're doing at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m., whereas in college you might have a 10 a.m. class and then nothing till 3 in the afternoon. What is it that you do with that time? So 
my advice for that is you fill that structure. So whether that means you go to the gym, but your day is still kind of planned, you know, and once um, they get used to that, filling their time, you know, and making that, you know, accounting for those three hours with nothing to do really, I think it, it works well. I don't see it as a big problem. The other thing I've seen, you know, from working with student veterans and also from teaching student veterans is adjusting to that. I mean, you know, the 18 year old sitting next to them, texting their friends, figuring out what party they're going to later that night, interrupting class, that type of thing where, you know, they student veterans find that annoying. Like they're there to learn. They're there to get the job done. And then there's the people sitting around them, which they have to now kind of coexist with and get along with and, and relate to. But it's such a different type of mind frame from the typical 18 year old to say even one of the young and the restless, like the 24 year old veteran. You know what I mean? It's a completely different type of adjustment. and They have to figure out how to deal with them, whether it's through group projects or through just sitting there, you know? Oh. Um, and that adjusting to the classroom part that I think is key and, and being able to kind of deal with that typical college student sitting next to them. No, and, and you know, back, I, I agree with that. A typical, and it is a generational gap or even a focus gap. These, as we were, you know, in the military and, and we're at, at, at work and whatever we were doing, sometimes the phone was out, sometimes it wasn't, sometimes we were texting, but we were always focused on, you know, somebody was speaking or, you know, we were in a training class, the phone, the phone was not out. You were not texting because you had to give that respect to the whoever the presenter was. So that was always an annoyance. And I've seen that uh, for our student veterans at the, at the schools that um, that I've been to. Um, the the next question I, I want to ask, because we're, we're running, uh, we're getting to the end of the show, is some of the some of our uh, student veterans run into certain obstacles. And so, um, uh, Tom, this is going to be addressed to you. What are what are what are some of these obstacles they run into and then how can they overcome them? Well, I, I think uh, the first obstacle is like, you know, I'll beat that drum is trying to figure out what they want to do. At the same time, it's just acclimating to a academic routine where it's not, you know, in military schools, it's pretty well laid out, very structured where now the student, oh, I have a midterm, a paper, and a final. This should be really easy. And I've had quite a few students who have kind of not taken the extra effort or maybe don't have, a, don't have the discipline in this in areas. So I think there's an adjustment uh, when they do come to uh, instruction. And at the same time, their instructors uh, at the, uh, are can be, you know, PhD civilians and they have no clue on what military is or what the experiences they are. So it's a it's a two way street. So that's why I think the the guidance, uh, that career services or that indoctrination. And I think the the JC schools do a tremendous job, at least out here as well as and within the you know junior colleges, they have trades as well. And I think they do a great job of of connecting with the people. And at the same time, hopefully they will uh, look into areas that that they know what their strengths and weaknesses are. Absolutely. And and Karina, what do you think? So just to add to that, I think it's also so important to understand that 
a student veteran is a subgroup of the non-traditional student and their reason for getting a degree is to make that transition into their civilian career. Having said that, I think it's so important for, you know, part of that transition for colleges to really take a proactive role to sit down with them, make sure that they're in the right major, make sure that the courses they're taking and the things they're learning are things that they can use to make that civilian career transition. You know, they're not there to find themselves and, and take philosophy courses to, you know, figure out who they are and, and all that stuff. They're there to transition into a civilian career and they're getting a degree to make that happen. And I think that's what's so important about doing that the right way, you know, is that the fo I mean, I always tell student veterans is from day one that you begin your academic journey, this is your journey into your civilian career transition. Everything you do, use that to make that successful. Use it towards your next career move. Apply it all. Everything you're learning can be applied, right? Right. And Caitlin, did you want to finish the discussion? Yes. So I 100% agree with Karina um, on that. Something though, one of my, opi my opinion is that one of the obstacles is um, how are veterans going to best utilize their education benefits? If, um, for instance, Chamber of Commerce Foundation released a report saying that spouses of military service members are, there's a 16% unemployment rate. And that's, that's, that's really high. That's about four times higher than the national average. So when these military members are getting out, how are they going to be able to go to school full time and still take care of their families if their spouse has not had employment while they were enlisted or, you know, whatever. So I think an answer to that would be how to best utilize their support system. How do you best utilize the veteran service organizations to help them find um, some type of income while they're starting school and help help their spouses find jobs as well, wherever they're transitioning and moving to? Um, because it'd be a shame for veterans to go to school, you know, part time and take over four years, you know, six to eight years to finish their degree and not have enough money with from their GI Bill to do so. Absolutely. Excellent points. I'm so sorry. We have run out of time today. We are going to have this posted later on. It'll be on iTunes or there will be an article and we will be able to give you the URLs where you can find out more about our guests and their organizations. Thank you for joining us for our first roundtable discussion about issues facing our transitioning student veterans. We'll talk with you again next week. Make it a great week. Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.